Addy. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right. The little pink pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Way back in the mid-90s, when magazines practically grew on trees, an American prince had an idea. John wanted to establish George Magazine early on as like a real editorial, you know, kind of powerhouse. You know, it was JFK Jr., obviously, but it was also like this new genre of magazine that no one had ever done before. In the beginning, everybody wanted to be edited by John. I mean, partially because they wanted to see what kind of editor he was for the more seasoned writers. But, you know, it was like, of course, it's JFK Jr. I want him to look at my piece. I want to hear what he has to say. I want his handwriting on on my piece. I want his edits on there. We had Norman Mailer write for us. Nicholas Lemon, I think, wrote for us. So it, it it was trying to get that New Yorker level writer to participate. Which is why, for the very first issue, it made perfect sense to recruit a marquee writer, someone synonymous with both political heft and style, to wax rhapsodic about the magazine's namesake, George Washington, no matter the price tag. I remember like we were just hearing whispers because this was like supposed to be the centerpiece. You know, they paid some crazy amount of money for it. Let's say it was like $50,000 or something, right? It's just insane. And it had been brokered by, you know, some big agent. And um, they get it, and it's crazy bad. It was unpublishable, and it got killed. From Justine Harmon and Audio Chuck, this is Killed, the podcast that brings dead stories back to life. Episode 10, The Magazine. The inaugural issue of any magazine is hectic. There are dashed cover tries, skittish advertisers, and the tacit agreement between all staffers that this is, full stop, the most important thing any of us will ever do. 
but the inaugural issue of John F. Kennedy Jr.'s Super Secret Vanity Project, a publication intended to bridge the gap between politics and pop culture, was an absolute shit show. I just remember chaos. There were all these design firms for five years. Rose Marie Terenzio was John's assistant. Her book, Fairy Tale Interrupted, a memoir of life, love, and loss, retraces how she went from being a publicist at his friend Michael Berman's PR agency to becoming the icon's Girl Friday. Our original office was on 26th and 5th, and I just remember we had a conference table. And I wasn't quite sure yet what Michael and John were doing because we were still running Michael's PR firm out of there. I just remember seeing photos, like unretouched photos with like markings all over them, mostly black and white photos of like tons of celebrities just like spread all over the conference table. I have like this crazy old Xerox of it and he and Michael Berman were going around pitching it. You know what's really funny is like, it would, it feels like a magazine that you could score with today, like if you were starting with a Substack or whatever. Like it, it, That it, handsome it, voice sound familiar? It's, it's, That's it's, Hugo Lindgren again, like from episode five. The man who would go on to deliver the news that Joe Nocera's story about his dangerous doctor neighbor had been killed. Holy shit. But we're talking about the mid-90s here, back when Hugo was just a baby editor, back when magazines were flush with cash and the world was an absolute oyster for white guys with petty cash accounts. So I had worked at a little architecture magazine. It, it's, it was big size, but it was little in stature. It was called Metropolis. And I worked there, I guess it ended up being four years. It was my first real job out of college. And I felt like I would never, ever, and I applied for every magazine job that like, I mean, it was even hard to find out about jobs back then. Like you, like I didn't know anybody who worked at magazines and I worked there and I, I, it was actually looking back on it, like an incredibly great place to work, but I was just dying to like be in real magazines. Cause like you'd mentioned Metropolis and people would be like, I don't know what that is. Most of the magazine was about like, you know, fancy sofas and stuff. And like, so it was, it was just a very like weird magazine and I just wanted to be anywhere. You know, I wanted to be at New York Magazine or I wanted to be at Rolling Stone or I wanted to be, you know, like in the big leagues. Hugo was a man with a plan. Step one, get to a big time magazine. So when George started, I wrote John a letter right away. I guess I found out where he was and I wrote him a letter and he wrote me back. I still have the letter. He wrote me back. It wasn't handwritten, but it was hand signed, but it was like kind of like typewritten. Like it was like, you know, it was definitely like a personal letter. And he's like, your background is of interest to us and we'll be in touch, you know? And so I was like, so super pumped. Do you think you typed up that letter? Oh, definitely. Rose Marie, John's assistant, remembers Hugo well. Well, Hugo and his bestie, another junior editor named Manny Howard. Hugo and Manny were thick as thieves, and Hugo had a little bit of a man crush on Manny. I think he probably still does. Indeed. Manny is one of my lifelong best friends. Actually, not lifelong because we met at George. And um, we were both in the junior editor slot. And Manny and I have had many uh, adventures together in writing in magazines. Manny's the best. I, so I, I, I want to do a television show called I Love Manny, which is um, it's I Love Lucy, but in reverse. So instead of the uh, wife being the fuck up, 
and the dude is the breadwinner. It's the wife who's got all her shit together. She's a total pro. And then the husband is just a piece of shit. And he's just constantly fucking up. So it's based a little bit on Manny. They, they were like the duo who would, you know, they, they had this, like they wanted to try to be like, we're real, you know, writer editors. And, you know, we're going to tell you how it's, you know, how it's going to go down. Hugo remembers reporting for his first day at George. Yeah, I was 100% stoked. Like, I felt like I was in the big leagues. Conveniently located at the Hachette Filipaki offices, right at the brutal intersection between Broadway and 50th, right at the center of health. Metropolis had been at this little tiny office on the Upper East Side on 87th Street, very funky, kind of like, it's definitely a strange place. And I just was like, had this idea that like I was going to be walking into like the big, you know, some fantastic office and, you know, like, and we went to work at Hachette. And so the Hachette building, which we called the Death Star on Broadway and 50th, was just like disgusting. So we were like in this terrible, like the worst cubicles. Okay, so it wasn't perfect, but Hugo was legitimately stoked. It was kind of as if Harry Styles wanted to make a magazine but then just went to an oppressive skyscraper every day in midtown Manhattan and actually made one. The heat on George was insane. Everyone wanted to know, could John F. Kennedy Jr., who had famously failed the bar twice, actually succeed? very big launch in no small part because John F. Kennedy Jr. is editor-in-chief. Certainly it helps and it draws attention and what any new launch needs is that. Uh, But ultimately this magazine is going to stand or fall on whether or not it's a good magazine. And it was fun. Like Baz Luhrmann, the great Gatsby fun. It was. It was a blast. It was a party every night. It was amazing. Everybody was the same age. Most of the people were single and those who weren't ended up divorced. <laughs> We'd have these big parties, you know. And But then the junior staff would always be like, are we invited to the party, not invited to the party? The hierarchies were constantly being enforced against the junior staff, you know. But John would always be the one who then let us in, right? So he he would find out that, like, we were being excluded from something, and then he would, like, make it so we were included. Like, that was was his thing. He was like a – like he stuck up for the little people in the office. I remember being at a party for – it was a Vanity Fair party for – oh, God, I can't remember. It was a – I think it was, like – the pre- the night before the Oscar party or something, and Fiona Apple performed for like a hundred people in this mansion in LA, and Brad Pitt and Courtney Cox were like standing right next to me, like watching her perform, and I was like, oh my god, look where I am! I'm in this like mansion in Beverly Hills with like Fiona Apple like right in front of me, and Brad Pitt standing next to me like hanging out. You'd meet so many people in one night and then you'd see them again and then you'd have drinks with them and we would all be tramping around the city together and just having the best time. Everyone was so excited about it. The whole city was like buzzing about this magazine and, you know, you were kind of at the epicenter of, you know, it was JFK Jr., obviously, but it was also like this new genre of magazine that no one had ever done before and there was like one side of people who were like this is amazing what a great idea and then the other side was like this is a shit idea it's never gonna work i thought you were a lawyer i was what happened there was an opportunity here to uh change the definition of a political magazine Addie. 
Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right, the little pink pill. And it's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, or Flavanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at addy.com slash P-I or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved little pink pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. This is Killed, the podcast that brings dead stories back to life. The newly assembled staff at George, a magazine named after George Washington and run by John F. Kennedy Jr., who is very cute and charming, but is sometimes in hyannis or lost your manuscript or whoops, something else that's your job now, is quickly hurtling toward its first ever deadline. Kennedy and his partners say launching George has been stressful. The first two issues have more than 100 pages of advertising. They sold so many ads for it, right, that they're just looking for anything to stuff in there. And we worked on it forever. Like, we worked on it for months and months and months and months. And, like, just it got reshuffled and reshuffled and reshuffled. There was a lot of scrambling to get good writers, who name writers who had legitimacy. It was really important that the magazine be taken seriously in both like Washington and LA. What happened was that it, it became a, well, not every article has to be by a superstar. You know what I mean? And we were, I think we were scrambling to find our own stars. It wasn't enough for the first issue of George to exist. It had to explode off the newsstands. We need more literary muscle. I'm thinking 8,000 words on the O.J. Simpson trial. I have Stephen Mizell on the phone. Can anyone find John? I just remember, like, assigning stuff. And then, you know, you'd, you'd assign it to your friends and these freelancers that you'd, like, call up. And then you'd, their stories would get killed and you'd have no real good reason because, like, nobody would even tell you why. And then like, you just be like, and then you, you also, they, they redid the, the page through of the magazine. They redid it hundreds of times. So your stuff would be in and then it would be out, you know, and you wouldn't even know you'd like go to the art department and you'd see like the current like layout or worse, like your like 3000 word story would be 400 words. And you'd be like, what the fuck? I can't make this 400 words. Like, and, but they'd be like, well, that's what John wants. And you'd be like, what? <laughs> and then you'd like go looking for John and he'd be in Hyannis or whatever, like at the movies or whatever. And you'd like be looking around for him to just be like, John, they took my 3,000 words. Sorry, made it 400 words. Um, anyway, it was terrible. It was, it was the best the, of times and the worst of times. It was a good time, but we felt important and we dressed nice and we bought like clothes and like, you know, John's girlfriend, his new girlfriend at some point in his future wife. Carolyn Bissett. 
she threw out all his old clothes or demanded he get rid of them and she redid his whole wardrobe and then he gave us all his clothes. So we had all these fancy John Kennedy clothes. Those cast-offs would be like the prizes, you know, because those were like a Zenia suit, a Gucci shirt, you know, those were the good ones. And I remember that there were these shoes that he got, I think they were from Gucci and they were the wrong size. And he was too embarrassed to send them back or call and say, hey, they're the wrong size. Cause he's like, I can afford to buy my own shoes. I don't want to do that. And he, you know, he was trying to give them away to whoever on the staff. And it was like Cinderella, all the guys coming in, trying to squeeze their foot and <laughs> Gucci loafers. And you're like, dude, it doesn't, they don't fit. <laughs> like they don't fit. They're not for you. Move on. He and I were like almost exactly the same size. So like I have, like I still have, I have a bunch of his crazy old suits, like Armani suits and everything. And, and then here's the best story. This is the best story. You ready? He, uh, he met Tom Ford who was running Gucci at the time. And he, um, he complimented Tom's shoes, whatever shoes he was wearing. Tom's like, oh, well, give me your, uh, give me your size. I'll send you, send you a pair. So the shoes arrive some weeks later and they're not the ones that Tom was wearing. There's some other shoes and they're terrible. And uh, John looks at them and goes, ah, oh, these aren't the ones I want. Um, and he goes, do you want them? And I was like, I knew exactly what I was going to do with them, right? I was going to go like return them to the Gucci store. So he he gives me the shoes that are like $600 or something. It was like the greatest gift I'd ever been given in my life. And I and I run over to the Gucci store with the shoes. And the, uh, the clerk comes back and he goes, where did you get these shoes? I came up with an instant lie that I'm still very proud of. I was like, oh, my aunt was um, traveling in Italy and she bought them there for me. And they're like, that actually answered their problem, which is they were like some European model that they didn't sell in the United States or something like that. So whatever, they came back and they gave me the store credit. I got like some crazy sweater and a bunch of other things. And then like a week later, John gets a note from like Tom's Ford's assistant being like, hey, I think we sent you the wrong shoes. Would you send them back and we'll give you the right ones? And so John comes and goes, hey, I need those shoes back. I looked at him and I was like, I don't have them. <laughs> and he goes, what, what do you mean you don't have them? <laughs> and I was like, I returned to the Gucci store. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you're such a little bastard. <laughs> then he was like, oh, no problem. I'll deal with it. <laughs> anyway, that was like, John, he didn't care at all. He was very funny about it. It was a motley crew. People were in the wrong jobs. They were partying all the time. So what if there weren't enough desk chairs or trash cans? Or that John would routinely forget his bike lock key and have to wear his chain underneath his suit jacket? They were doing it. And it was edgy and fun. They'd even booked Cindy Crawford to be on the very first cover. And she'd been totally game to dress like our very first forefather. And then the creative director, Matt Berman, no relationship to the publisher, Michael Berman, had a ballsy idea. Well, if she's going to be George Washington, she was like, yeah, exactly. If I'm going to be George Washington, she was awesome. If I'm going to be George Washington, I might as well be George Washington. And then the photo came in. And I think John said to Matt, Matt, is that a bulge in her pants? And he was like, well, yeah. And he's like, no, no, you got to get rid of that. Okay, well, newsstand edgy. And John wasn't afraid to make a tough decision. He'd personally bumped Roseanne so Madonna could be their very first back page booking for a recurring column called If I Were President. We had gotten Roseanne Barr to say yes to be the first If I Were President. For the second issue, he asked Madonna. 
And he was away somewhere. I can't remember where he was, but I remember him faxing me. And basically Madonna said, either I'm first or I'm not. And he was like, listen, we got to make it. We got to make a splash here and it's going to be a much better piece. Fuck it. We won't run the Roseanne one. We're running Madonna. I don't care if we piss her off. And so we bumped the Roseanne bar if I were president for Madonna. They were pissed. But it was one of those things where it was like, you got to make a decision, got to do it fast. We got to get this thing out the door. And it was the coolest photo ever. She was in a blue robe with a blue towel in her hair, sitting on a diving board in a pool, and she was holding a goldfish like she was going to eat it. I was freaking out at how great that photo was. And her publicist ended up getting me a copy of it. And I have it framed in my apartment to this day. Now, all they had to do was pin down Gore Vidal, the award-winning essayist who had written multiple best-selling historical novels. The writer, who was once called a treasure of state by the New York Times Book Review, the one who still hadn't turned in his essay on George Washington, the one they'd paid top dollar for. This was like supposed to be the centerpiece. They paid this bazillion dollars for it. And like, you know, Gore Vidal, like this cover line, as if like, as if a magazine buyer would be like, oh my God, I better pick this up. It's got Gore Vidal in it. And then the piece did come in, though no one can really remember what it was about. Just that it was bad. It's like Gore Vidal just doing like a, like a work for hire, like just a you know, and he's just like, fuck it. Like, uh, you know, and I mean, I don't know. I, I like, I don't know exactly what he thought, um, but he definitely did something that he did not think for a minute, whether it was like publishable by the magazine that was hiring him for it. It was a nightmare. It was awful. It was shit. I don't know if he didn't agree to the edits or he just didn't think he thought because he was Gore Vidal he wasn't going to do any. He was doing us a favor by even, you know, participating. You know, he kind of disappeared for a length of time and wouldn't take any edits. And how dare you edit me? I'm Gore Vidal. And John was like, how dare you turn in a piece of shit? Yeah. And, jo and John was pretty pissed off about that. And there was a lot of clamoring among the staff on, well, it's Gore Vidal. Do we run a piece by Gore Vidal that's crap and just have his name in there? And it was just, it was unpublishable. And it got killed. 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 Addie. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flavanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I dot com. 
Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. This is Killed, the podcast that brings dead stories back to life. John F. Kennedy Jr. had done the unthinkable. He had killed a piece by Gore Vidal, rumored to have cost him megabucks, and he didn't bat an eye. One of the higher-ups came screaming down about how much money we were paying Gore Vidal to kill the piece, and John said, I'll pay it out of my own pocket. That was his kind of MO. Like, once he made a decision, that was it. He wasn't going to backpedal. He wasn't going to succumb to the pressure media pressure, any pressure. He made a decision, that was it. He didn't make it lightly, but when he did make it, that was it. The first issue of George Magazine, with Cindy Crawford on its cover, Sans Bulge, sold out on newsstands, moving nearly 500,000 copies, five times more than its competitor, The New Republic. It had a profile on FBI Director Louis J. Free, a conversation between Kennedy and his father's political foe, George Wallace, and that sensational photograph of Madonna on a diving board about to swallow a goldfish. Notably absent, a scathing essay on George Washington by Gore Vidal, who passed away in 2012 and whose representatives did not respond to Kild's request for comment. The magazine was a cultural phenomenon. You know, Donna called me on The Rosie Show and invited me to a party at Elaine's for Demi, who's on the cover of George, but I don't want to name drop. (laughs) And John did whatever it took to get the word out. Ladies and gentlemen, meet George. Your mother was a hell of an editor at Doubleday. That's what I hear. Would she have liked George? I think she would have. Because? I I think that... uh, you know, she, when we first talked about the idea, she said, well, John, you're not going to do the mad magazine of politics. <laughs> and and I, I said, well, no. And I thought that was good advice to keep in the back of my mind. What the hell is this? <laughs> it's a copy of George. It's a new political magazine I'm editing. I had the uh, guys in the art department mock up a cover with you on it. It's pretty great, huh? That's it? No, no. There's a uh, one-year free subscription with the card. <laughs> Gee, I hope you didn't have to sell the compound. <laughs> But behind the hype, behind the glitz and the glamour and the Murphy Brown cameos, there was something else. The only bad thing about George was that we just couldn't figure out how to make a good magazine. It was super exciting. We were there all the time. We worked like 24 hours a day. But I have no idea what we were doing. There was a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of writers who had to sit down with John in the office in order to really have the piece be, you know, so, so it was, it was, everything was sort of extended out because there was the, the factor of wanting to be around John and the magazine. 
celebrity does weird things to people like it really brings out the worst behavior like anything john said or did was so amplified and he was really a benevolent guy like i never saw him be an asshole to anyone like and he and he and he really did nice things for a lot of people and he was a genuinely approachable likable guy but people got weird about it you know and guarded their access to him and i, I mean me too like I, I mean i don't really remember like what dumb ways I acted, but I'm sure I did, you know, because like everyone did. Try as he might, the magazine's editor-in-chief couldn't get away from his own celebrity or his own lack of experience. Perhaps the only two things that can't be fixed with benevolence. And also John was not a reader. So he would get these manuscripts in and he would just like, he would just get easily bored. And, and then he would sort of say something kind of critical about a piece, just in a, like, almost like in a bonding way, you know, he'd be like, oh my God, I'm reading this thing and it's so boring, you know? He would say like me or like one of my colleagues or whatever. And he, he wouldn't mean it like, oh, I'm talking behind this editor's back or something. He was mostly just like, kind of like bonding with us. But then it would have the effect of like, people be like, oh, John doesn't like this thing. What the fuck? Oh shit. And then the vote, it, it was, a, John had a little bit of a, it was a little too democratic sometimes. So everybody had an opinion about what photo should go where and where the pull quote should be and what the pull quote should be. I mean, it, it got to the point where you're like, okay, why is the intern telling the art director where the photo, what photo's better and the one that doesn't work for this piece? And then there was the tone, the irreverence, the bipartisan spirit, the not-just-politics-as-usual tagline, all of which felt ahead of its time. It was certainly the beginning of this celebrity, um, like right after George, every celebrity had like a political person on their staff. They had their publicist, agent, their manager, and then their political director. I think the culture actually sort of adapted to George, you know, the whole like Bill Clinton going on MTV type stuff and things did sort of go in the direction of George, but like George was sort of a little too early to the party. And also just, we just didn't have the editorial sort of courage to be really creative about it. George may have been early to the party, but it didn't stay long. On July 16th, 1999, a small plane John Kennedy Jr. was flying plunged into the sea off of the coast of Martha's Vineyard. John, his wife Carolyn, and her sister Lauren all died in the crash. George Magazine ceased publication less than two years later. George Magazine is folding this month. Its final issue a tribute to a man whose very life embodied the worlds of celebrity and politics, which George tried to melt. And by then, the original staff, like Hugo and Rosemary, had already moved on from their beloved Death Star, from the job to which a million others would never compare. These days, Hugo's still writing, and he still has a man crush on Manny. Manny, best guy, good friend, wonderful guy. He, I just asked him, I saw him today, and I said, oh, I have to talk about Killed Magazine stories. And I goes, do you, do you remember anything really good? And he goes, oh yeah, that time you killed my story on buying a cow. And I had no fucking idea what he was talking about. And I was like, what? And he was like, he was like, yeah, you killed my story. 
And I was like, and you know, Manny was a journalist working in New York. He had a lot of stories killed. And I, 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 I don't, I didn't remember it at all. And it was, it, it got unpleasant. Like, like on the, and this is like my dearest friend. And it suddenly opened up this whole wound, like, like 20 years gone. I was like, well, there must've been something wrong with it. I wouldn't, he, it, apparently pictures were taken. He had like the meat in his fridge, like from the cow for like years. I was like, oh my God, I don't, I don't have any recollection of it at all. He goes, see, that was the problem. You just lost interest in it and you killed the story. And I was like, Manny, there's no freaking way I did it that way. I'm sure there must be another explanation, but of course I don't know. So anyway, that's how magazine killed magazine stories. They don't go away. They just stay around and the hurt is still fresh. And Rosemarie, she's her own Girl Friday now. As a senior director at a communications and public affairs strategy firm in Manhattan, Every day, she sees the influence of George. There was a girl in my office, she's probably in her mid-20s, and I was looking at her phone, and I looked over, and I'm like, sorry to be nosy, but what is your screensaver on your phone? Oh, it's the first issue of um, George Magazine. It was the first cover of George Magazine. It's my favorite. And I was like, what? And she had no idea that I'd worked at George. You know, It was like my maybe my first week there. And she had this Cindy Crawford cover, George Magazine, on her phone as like the screensaver. And I was like, wow, that is really cool all these years later. Holy shit. Killed is an audio Chuck production created and written by Justine Harmon. Editing by Alistair Sherman with support from Ian Mant. Production by Amanda Fitzsimons. Fact-checking by Barbara Keen, with research from Samantha Leach. If you'd like to support independent journalists and protect the work they do while they do it, please consider donating to the Freelance Solidarity Project. Learn more at freelancesolidarity.org. You can find links to all the published stories featured on the first season of Killed at killedstories.com. And if you're a writer with a killed story, we'd like to hear from you. Once again, that's killedstories.com. Thank you for listening to season one of Killed. Be sure to smash that follow button to stay up to date because we'll be bringing even more dead stories back to life very soon. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right, the little pink pill. And it's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, or Flavanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at addyi.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at addy.com slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved little pink pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I dot com.
Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.